Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Alan Infinite Sunday School. Groundbreaking Sunday. It is not a national holiday, but it ought to be. <laughs> it happens very rarely in the life of a church. This is one of maybe a couple of times in the life of Valley Baptist Church. It's the first one for us. Groundbreaking, bring, bringing God the honor for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Let's sing unto him 578, How Firm a Foundation. Yes, it may seem like a play on words, but it isn't, okay? How Firm a Foundation 578. Joshua, would you lead us, please? that he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us? Amen. I am. Let's thank him for that and prayer as we begin today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together that we may worship you in song, in the opening of the scriptures, in giving, in fellowship together, and even this afternoon as we gather for a picnic and a groundbreaking celebration. Father God, thank you for who you are, that we can worship you in not just the activities, but in our hearts day in and day out, that we would be 
those who worship you tomorrow as well as today, that it isn't a once-a-week thing for us. Father God, I ask you too that for those who aren't with us for one reason or another, that you would bless and guide in their lives and draw them closer to Christ our Savior today also. And I do think, Father, that there may be and could be someone here among us today that has not yet become your child, uh, having placed faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. I ask you that today would be the day of salvation for those. We also ask you, Heavenly Father, that we would honor you in this hour together and enjoy you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Which brings me to our PowerPoint that I put together for us today. Why should we start building a building? Why build a building for a church? Well, I have seven reasons. There has to be seven. I worked at that. I had six and I had to add a seventh one, you know. (laughs) Anyway, God has started the process. So that's the first one. God has started the process. He expects us, like the Israelites, he took them out of Egypt and started the process moving them to the promised land. What did they have to do when they were standing on the shore of the Jordan River? They were to step in before he would part those waters. He expects us to step in the Jordan, if you will. Figuratively speaking, he years ago provided a piece of property for Valley Baptist Church in a way that seemed miraculous then and even more so now. And he's provided finances and a lot of planning and that toward it. So he expects us to do so and continue on. The second one is a practical reason. This building is getting tight sometimes. Today's okay, but we've had it where we weren't quite sure how we would arrange seating. Praise God for that. But this building won't provide what we need, of course, to function in, in a orderly way for an indefinite period of time. And the third reason is for testimony reasons. Who we rent this building from have treated us like kings. I don't know how else to say that. So that is one of the testimonies, but in the community, people are watching and, and wondering if we'll actually stay and actually build a building. It said future home of Valley Baptist Church on the sign out at the property for years. And they're wondering. So Here's another one. Around the country, and even in Invercargill, New Zealand, they pray for Valley Baptist Church and a future building. So that's a testimony reason. Another one is financial reasons. God is blessing, and others contribute to our building fund. It's not just us, but praise God. Last year, we were able to see $70,000 added to the building fund in one year. That's God's doing through people. And so it is a, there's a financial reason. For functional reasons also, we'll have better bathrooms. And some of you will say, yay, <laughs> to that. We'll have HVAC, so the heating, air conditioning, and ventilation will be much better. And I'm not complaining about this building, but we'll have an actual audio-video uh, set up in the building. It will be much more functional for us in many ways as we reach out to people in the community and invite them in. There are ministry opportunities along the way, too. This is the one I had to scratch my head and think about. Not just in the building, 
but during the process, in a couple of weeks, there will be a couple of groups coming from Dillon, Montana, our son Jason, and one of the deacons of First Baptist Church in Dillon will be coming, and maybe a few others, and then a handful from Soap Lake, Washington, and this is a prayer request. Pastor Andrews is the one who's been contacting us back and forth, and their daughter was in a little, it's not a tote go, it's a mini bike accident, and broke her eyebrow on her skull and is really hurting. So pray for Pastor Andrew Schaff's little girl and Hannah's little girl, Andrew and Hannah's little daughter. But they are planning to come and bring a group over. And guess what? Probably Wednesday night, I'll ask him to bring the Bible lesson in our, our uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting. <clears throat> There's minist- When we get together, it's not about the concrete and the rebar. It's about the people. And I want us not to forget that. And of course, the greatest one of all is for the glory of God. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 say, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, let unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When we did groundbreaking in Florida, it was hot. It's going to be perfect weather today. When we did groundbreaking in Illinois, it was minus 7 degrees. And the Janungs remember that day. It was a cold groundbreaking, but warm in that circle. It was a delight. Yes, we had to use a pick to break the surface of the ground. We won't have to do that today, will we? But God has ordered the weather for us, and it will be just right. And you know, even in spite of minus seven degree weather, there were angels there that day. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to groundbreaking in the next couple of weeks. Praise God he's brought us to this point. So that's my announcements at this time. I would like to uh, just leave it at that. And our focus today, I really had to think about the sermon in a lot of ways. Do I bring a message about foundations or building or, you know, out of Nehemiah or Ezra, one of those, I didn't know. I think I'm going to bring another message out of Obadiah, verse 15 today. I mean, I know I am. That's what I've prepared for, and that's how God led the day of the Lord. And last week, Alan, in his sermon, mentioned that as a, a something that we're imminently looking forward to. As soon as he comes, great. In the meantime, we're to occupy till he come. We're going to uh, en- enjoy that. Ask everyone to stand for a scripture reading. And on the back of your bulletins is printed our scripture reading for today. We will do a responsive reading. And so I will read verse 6. And you folks read verse 7. I'll read verse 8, you verse 9, and so on. Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 14. Verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered, but God the increase. 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. We are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. If any man's work abide, which he hath builded thereupon, he shall receive a reward. I trust that God blesses the reading of his word today. You may be seated, and children's church is dismissed at this time. And Jesus may come today, and we can say, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Right? as the Apostle John did as he closed the pages of our Bibles. Open your Bibles to Obadiah. It's nine books back from Matthew, if you know where that is. You could go from Daniel, if you can find Daniel, and go to Hosea, Joel, Amos, and then Obadiah. You could go at it from that direction also. Our main text today is verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Let's ask God to guide us. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, please teach us. Father God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would work in our minds and in our hearts that a passage like this you would use to make a difference in our lives. Even as we anticipate the joy of a groundbreaking celebration focusing on you this afternoon, we can also anticipate the events yet ahead in this time that your prophets wrote about called the Day of the Lord. And Father, thank you that we can trust you day by day. Most importantly, if someone is not prepared for the events yet ahead on your prophetic calendar, part of the day of the Lord, I ask you that they would be prepared spiritually and in testimony in every way before that next event comes. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the word the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. That little phrase, as you study that in your study programs that you may use or in concordances and things like that, you'll realize that we may... Here's a help. 
the, the New King James does this with it, and it really does help us. It would read, For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. That helps us understand a little bit about our verse. It's not just upon the heathen. It's upon both those who know Christ as Savior, those who don't or won't. It's near. We believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ to take the church up off of this earth. Near can mean close at hand, okay? Obviously, in place or time. There is a cartoon that I have in my cartoons file. I do that. I don't know if you do something like that, but they're often in matters that relate to tongue-in-cheek stuff in regard to churches or bulletins or whatever. I noticed a guy walking on a sidewalk in a cartoon with a placard on front and back, you know, and the placard said, the Lord will return soon, maybe. And another guy walking toward him looked at that and read that, and he said, that's hardly any way to pack him into the pews. <laughs> The apostles were looking for the Lord to set up his kingdom the very day he ascended up to heaven. They asked him, Lord, will thou at this time set up thy kingdom? And he said, it's not for you to know the time or the hour. And God doesn't want us focusing on that. He wants us to be busy about his work until that day and be ready for that day. This significance of the day of the Lord... According to John A.T. Robinson, Robinson, I'm sorry, stated, in itself, the day of the Lord is a general and comprehensive ex- expression for the consummation of God's purpose alike in victory and in judgment. A.B. Davidson wrote, it is a day that is a special time and it is the day of the Lord. It belongs to him. It is his time for working, for manifesting himself, for displaying his character, for performing his work. Hence, it displays his whole character and sees his whole purpose affected. J. Barton Payne declared, the comprehensive phrase by which the Old Testament describes God's intervention in human history for the accomplishment of his testament is Yam Yahweh, the day of Yahweh. The day of the Lord. It should catch your attention. The day of the Lord is an interesting phrase to study in the Bible. You can chase it from Old Testament prophets to New Testament apostles. It is used by Isaiah, by Jeremiah, by Ezekiel, by Amos, and Obadiah. He may be the first one to use the phrase, if we understand about what time he wrote. Zephaniah used the term several times. Zechariah, and Paul, and Peter in the New Testament. 26 times in all, the exact phrase, the day of the Lord, is used in our Bibles. And the context is incredible. 
just study that. If you do that, then I could walk away from the pulpit right now. I challenge you to do that. Study that. What's more, it is alluded to hundreds of times in both Testaments. Even though the phrase isn't exactly the day of the Lord, it's alluded to. We'll see that in just a moment. In its general sense, and remember I just quoted a fellow who talked of the general sense. In its general sense, it takes in God's coming and dwelling among mankind in the person of Jesus Christ, starting in Bethlehem, in its general sense. Starting in Bethlehem and lasting through his future kingdom reign from Jerusalem. We know it as the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So we are living in the general sense in the day of the Lord right now. From his first coming to his second coming and consummation. The majority of the uses of our phrase speak of his second coming, though, including in Obadiah. And the events that will take place in relation to that. You can look up Luke 19 with me for just a moment. I've printed it for myself. Luke 19, verse 11. And as, Jesus, as he stood before his disciples, Jesus was standing there. Keep this in mind. Standing before his disciples, they could see him. They could walk over and touch his arm. They heard his voice. They ate the same foods. He was right there next to them. Verse 11 says in Luke 19, And as they heard these things, he had been teaching them, he added and spake a parable. Why? Because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So he told them this parable. And he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered unto them ten pounds and said unto them, what? Occupy till I come. Dear Christian, that applies to you and me. We are to be busy about the things of the Lord until he come, not twiddling our thumbs, He wants us to be busy about his work. Jesus was himself represented by the certain nobleman in this parable. And he was teaching that he would go away for a time and return. He has gone up to heaven. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1. Those who belong to him are servants with a responsibility to occupy or do my business till I come. Each month we observe the Lord's Supper, don't we? And that's a good thing. I'm glad we enjoy that. And in this church age, the age of grace, we are told, for as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Till he come. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Last week, Alan 
mentioned Hebrews 10, verse 25, that we're not to forsake the assembling of, our, of ourselves together, exhorting one another. And even so much the more as we see the day approaching, we see the day getting closer, we ought to not neglect the things of the Lord as we think maybe it'll be tomorrow, so I'll just quit. No, God doesn't want us to quit until he actually is here. We are clearly to be busy about the Lord's work today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. Even though he may come in the air any moment, any time, we're still to be busy about his work. Some Christians use the Bible teaching about the Lord's soon return or the imminent rapture of the church to take the church up to meet him in the air as an excuse to be lazy. Reasoning, why should I or we expend the energy and the finances for this or that project or ministry? Won't it all be wasted? No, it won't be wasted. I believe he will come before we're finished anyway. Some people reason in their minds. What? It's all the more reason to be busy about the things of the Lord than ever before. For the time is short. That's why. Jesus said that the night cometh when no man can work. So, he exampled for us these words, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. What an example in John 9, verse 4. So let's start a building project, okay, everyone? Let's go ahead and start it and see what he does. Today, we will be looking into events that are yet future in scope. We call these things end-time events, and it's part of the day of the Lord that is yet to come. So, what is the next thing on the prophetic calendar? I believe that the Bible tells us these events will be. Number one, the rapture of the church. I make no apologies about that. There are many passages that speak to that. I even think I've found two Old Testament passages. The context as far as the rapture of the church off the earth can't be definitively explained by Old Testament passages because the church isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. But remember some of the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the upper room in John chapter 14. Verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18 say, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want to be ignorant, and I'm sure you don't either. Concerning them which are asleep, or who have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, or since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Hmm. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall 
rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What a glorious event that will be. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. One of my professors, Dr. Manfred Kober, some of you have met, used to say in class, if the taking up or snatching up or rapture of the church, and by the way, rapturo is the Latin for snatching up or taking up. <clears throat> if it were somewhere during the tribulation period or at the end of the tribulation, verse 18 would have to read, wherefore, scare each other with these words instead of comfort each other with these words. We had fun with that. <laughs> so what are we saying? There's an old idiom. We ought to be looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. You know? I'm glad for that. The Thessalonians believers thought this event was close at hand. In 2 Thessalonians, they were afraid they'd missed it. That's what 2 Thessalonians is really the, the primary context of chapters 1 and 2 is all about. On April 1st, 1994, I tried to play a trick on my pastor at that time. Pastor Gordon Dexter was the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church in Kalispell. And we, had, we were in the finishing stages of remodeling Bethel Baptist Church in those days, and I was the lead builder, and so <clears throat> I got to work earlier than everybody else. Anyway, I thought, oh, it's April 1st. What can I do? So I put my keys in the door. I took my hat off and laid it on the sidewalk. I took my jacket off and laid it on the sidewalk. And I brought an extra pair of pants that morning with belt and boots and the whole thing. And I laid it there in front of the door with the keys in the door. Wait, and I stood behind a bush and waited for Pastor Dexter to come in. He looked at that and he shook his head, took my keys and opened the door and went on in. <laughs> no, the rapture didn't occur April 1st, 1994. <laughs> what will be the second event on God's prophetic calendar? The revealing of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 and following say, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know that, or what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be Revealed That wicked one will be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish. After the rapture of the church, the revealing of the Antichrist will occur. Some people try to identify him now. 
Is he alive right now? Possibly. Do we know who he is or will be? No, we don't. There are several theories. He may be Jewish or Israeli in nationality. I don't know for sure. Daniel kind of alludes to that. That is why back when I was a boy, people believed... Wow, I just lost his name and I don't have it in my notes. Yes, Juanetta. Oh, yeah, Henry Kissinger. Thank you, sweetheart. They believed Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Yep. But he wasn't. We don't know. But there will be a real individual that Satan will empower, that will deceive the nations of this world. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. Of course, Daniel also, but especially Revelation chapter 13. People have asked me in regard to the mark of the beast, and I guess we were talking about that yesterday over at the church property, is proof of vaccination the mark of the beast? And I have told everybody, no, no, it's not. But it is a step in that direction, preparing or somehow conditioning culture to receive it someday. And when the Antichrist is revealed, people will be ready. People will be ready. And he will be revealed just before the seven years of tribulation. We think that the snatching up of believers off the earth will launch the world into seven years of tribulation. No, the revealing of the Antichrist will. People may blame aliens for the rapture. I don't know what they'll do with it, but it will be just before the revealing of the Antichrist, which will be just before the seven years of tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 4 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24, verse 20 says, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, speaking to Jewish people. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. God will keep it to seven years, or no one would survive it. He'll keep it just down to seven years. Those are some of the next events on the calendar in this period of time we know as the day of the Lord. We have a twofold purpose for the day of the Lord in the future when he does come to this earth again and set his feet upon the Mount of Olives. Interesting. 
at least 300 times the prophets of the Old Testament foretold that Jesus would come, well, let's say the Christ, the Messiah would come to Bethlehem, be born of a virgin. There were 300 plus prophecies about his first coming. But some 1,500 for his second coming. It's the most prophesied event in the Bible. The second coming of Christ. In Obadiah 15, that's what it's about. The return of the Lord. The return of Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Two major purposes in this part of the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus Christ back to this work world, is characterized by tremendous outpouring of divine wrath upon all unbelief in our world. And secondly, it will be characterized by tremendous blessing during the divine rule of Jesus Christ from that throne that we just read about. The day of the Lord will include a time of judgment on the nations. Isaiah 2 verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Verse 17, And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. That's one of the purposes when Jesus comes again, the day of the Lord. Of course, he will judge all unbelief, and those who boast in themselves, including the Antichrist, will be brought to the very lowest of low. Jeremiah said it this way, For this is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. And the sword shall devour. Jeremiah 46.10 Ezekiel 33, 30 verse 3 For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, a cloudy day. It shall be the time of the heathen. They will be judged by him. It will be pressed upon them. A time when God once again begins to deal with national Israel. Right now, they seem, they're set upon a shelf. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says they're blinded in part. Right now. But God will deal with them in a special way again. Isaiah 34, verse 8 says, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense. For the controversy of Zion. Ezekiel 13 verse 4. O Lord, thy prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He will begin to deal with national Israel in a special way. Look at Obadiah 17 verse 17. But upon Mount Zion... 
This is in the context of verse 15, the day of the Lord. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Do they right now? No, not yet. But they will. Then there will be the time when Christ defeats the armies of the Antichrist and judges non-believers. Revelation 19 is the most comprehensive. Revelation 19 and chapter 20. But I'll read Isaiah 11.4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Yes, the Antichrist will fall. Revelation 19 speaks of him being cast into the the pit. Let me read that quickly for you. In Revelation, chapter 19 tells us of Christ's second coming. But in chapter 20, it speaks of the thousand years. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog. I'm in Revelation 20, verse 8. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yes, that will be toward the end of the day of the Lord. Then there will be the time of theocratic rule on earth, as I just read a little bit in Revelation chapter 20, six times in verses 4 through 6, 1,000 years are spoken of where he will rule I should have read that. I guess I'll go back there and read that for you. Or we can read it together, if you will. Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. Their four... let me see. His image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We call that the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of Christ. It ends with the formation of a new heaven and new earth. Now let's go to 2 Peter 3. This is where we'll wrap up. 2 Peter chapter 3. What a whirlwind rush through prophecy, huh? <laughs> 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. 
This is the last mention in our Bibles of this phrase, the day of the Lord. And it's very, very significant. Back in Obadiah chapter, verse 15, I was about to say chapter 1. Anyway, in Obadiah verse 15, the Edomites, whatever number of their descendants were left when Jesus came the first time, all perished. There is no evidence archaeologically of Edomites living beyond 70 AD. Why? Number one, they did not believe God. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They did not believe in the Lord God of their great-great-great-grandfather, Jacob. And so God took them out, if you will. They did not believe. God wants all of us to believe the gospel message that Jesus Christ came into this world the first time, just as the Bible says, born of a virgin, placed in a manger in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect, sinless life, proving that he was God by many miracles, omniscient in knowledge, dying on the cross as a substitute for you and for me, shedding his blood there. His body was buried in a tomb, in a sepulcher for three days and three nights, but he rose again just as the scripture says, so that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants us to believe the gospel. The Edomites didn't. That is why Obadiah wrote. They had an opportunity. It didn't happen immediately. They had a few centuries to repent and to turn to the God of Jacob. But they didn't. I hope there's no one here in this room that has not made sure of that decision today. The second they treated the people of God and the things of God with disregard and disrespect. In Obadiah, verse 15, the last part of it says, It shall be done unto thee, thy reward shall be upon thine own head. <clears throat> I shouldn't have lost my place in Second Peter. Sorry about that. In Second Peter, let me read verses 11. Verse chapter three, Second Peter three eleven. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. That's the conclusion of the day of the Lord. God wants us to be ready and active, not idle and unprepared. Revelation 22, verse 20. 
the Apostle John had a quill in his fingers and as he put a period, if you will, in the Hebrew language on that parchment, I think he thought, any minute, I'm ready. He said, uh, Revelation 22:20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. That's the words of the Lord Jesus. And John said, Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, we made it to the end of the Bible, but there is a lesson for us, isn't there? We can learn from the disobedience and unbelief of the Edomites in Obadiah. We can learn from the blessedness of those who did believe and do believe and will believe. And the eternal things give us hope, don't they? There may be a challenge for you in all of this. We just sang the song a few minutes ago. What if it were today? Are you ready? Heavenly Father, I don't know the hearts of those who are present, but oh Lord God, I ask you that you would challenge them and me in any area of life that needs to be corrected or changed so that at any moment I would be ready to meet my Savior in the air and they would be ready to meet their Savior in the air. Father God, maybe there's someone here today who hasn't made sure of that. I ask you that the Holy Spirit would convict them so strongly that they would not leave this place without talking with me or one of our other dear church folks about their need to make sure of salvation. And Father God, I ask you that those who are making decisions about what needs to be taken care of before our Savior comes again. In many places it indicates he'll come in such a way that it will be, it'll surprise people. Even believers will be caught maybe unready. Father God, I ask you that if there's anyone that needs to make a decision in life to be ready, that they'd do so today. And Father, I ask you that you would work that work in them and me so that even through the busyness of life and the building of a building and all of that stuff, we would not neglect the most important things, which are the souls of mankind. And Father, I ask you that as we close this service, you would have in every way the control of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to open your songbooks to 591, Some Golden Daybreak. And I'll go ahead and lead that, Joshua, if that's okay. And then we'll be dismissed. I have a couple things I'd like to say before we are dismissed. But for uh, 591, please stand and then... I'll give you a little information about this afternoon, okay? Number 591, Some Golden Daybreak, verses 1 and 3.
child MRIs, loved ones unpitifully. Oh, what a daybreak that morn will be. Some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Battles all won. He'll shout the victory. Break through the blue. Some golden daybreak for me, for you. And this is a golden day out there. The sun is shining beautifully. I'm looking forward to the picnic together. We will meet again in 45 minutes out at the church property. Gives you time to go home if you need to. If not, uh, just go on out and enjoy the shade under the pavilion.